0: Welcome to another episode of Three Wise DNs, the podcast for three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long, talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by...
1: Tony. Far over the misty mountains, cold <laughs> to dungeons deep. And caverns old. We must the way in break of day. I'm finishing it out. I got 14 more verses.
0: <laughs>
1: Get the dwarves. <laughs> ah, that,
0: is, that is, of course, DM Dave, the rock and roll DM, or in this case, more the Gregorian chant DM.
1: I think. Yeah, it's a tough one, dude. Like, I have a low voice, and I kept trying to find that note and it's like in my ass like it's so low
2: <laughs> <laughs> like where i keep my best plot ideas oh my god it's yeah it's crazy it's you know
1: it's one of my favorite songs actually That's, mm-hmm. that, is,
0: that is literally in my normal rotation yeah it's misty mountains deep i think it's called or misty mountains cold
1: or uh, over the misty mountains cold yeah far over it's, misty uh, mountains cold. And that was that was one of the things that i thought the hobbit movie did great was they put tolkien's songs in it which gave a whole different vibe i think and i'm like
0: that's me that's about my mountain yeah you know, it that, is that's, yes that, that, you're that's, singing that's about my mind
1: fire
0: I've, got, I've got the key it's got a slight infestation problem it's okay i've sent a small mm. band of, of, of exterminators to go rid it of some lizard issues that have taken up in there but then it should be fine it should be it should be good for habitation again for co-op and you know co-leasing and whatnot oh, put it. a little we'll put a smoothie stand in the mountain security deposit required
1: like a smoothie king
0: Nice. Exactly. Yeah. A Smoothie King under the Orange. mountain.
1: Orange Julius. We go <laughs> way back. The
0: song is such a great call to adventure. You know, it really is. You're like, all right, you you hear that song. You want to go marching off to the mountain. Awesome song. Which makes it a great lead-in to what we're talking about here today. Because today's episode is going to be about not how do you build an adventure. We've done that. We You, you have another episode. We'll link to it here. That talks about how do you build an adventure. Here we're going to talk about what do we like to put in our adventures? What are the plot hooks we like to use? How do we like to break them up? What are the things we like to do? What are our favorite sticks? You know, what's What's our trademark? What are, what are the things that we always find ourselves coming back to when we're building adventures and campaigns and just how do we like to put it all together Because I think, you know, we talk so much about, okay, here's how you can get started. We don't talk enough about, well, what are the things that make your adventures unique or that you like to come back to that really, you know, you feel like work really well with players. You feel like to feel good doing for yourself. So that's where we're going to go today. Does that sound, uh, you guys got some of your favorite stuff ready? Yes.
1: Just all the favorites.
0: We'll get into it. We're going to reveal some of our secrets here today. However... First, we're going to start with a fan question that led us into this. This comes from Eric. Eric, thank you very much for sending this in. And all of you listening, if you have any questions about your games you'd like us to cover, you can send us an email at 3 at gmail.com or go to our website, which is what Eric did, and put it into the quote, what's your problem field. And here is Eric's question. As a new DM, when planning your story for your game, how do you like to break it up and have everything work together? For context, I'm running a 5e campaign based on the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, which Dave assures me is not pronounced Wildemount, which is how I wanted to say. No, no, no. Just randomese nowhere that you don't pronounce. We started at the Frozen Sick Adventure, and I now have them caught up in a political minefield that is the Gangs of Shady Creek Run. My problem is I don't know how to incorporate some of the big, bad, evil guy plot, and I feel stuck with almost small chapters of either Fetch or Rescue Quest. So, um... You know, this happens a lot, I think, and I think we found it in some of our games, which is you want to have an open world and other things for players to explore and side quests and things for them to get to. And some of that stuff takes longer than you think it's going to, or it can soak up more of the spotlight, more of the time, more game sessions. And it, you can have a hard time pulling it back out of that and get back to the main game. Like, I know in the. It, that's part of what we were running into with um, Woodstock Wanderers was I was marching you guys through the woods and we were getting too caught up in kind of woods travel type encounters and getting through this place, getting through that place. And we weren't really getting to other things. It was just, you know, kind of you wanted to keep kept getting caught up in the side things and the obstacles more than advancing your quest. It sounds like in this case, he's more getting caught up in all the side questing and all the other options you have there, because I know, Dave, you said wild mounts are really kind of really packed and full of great ideas.
1: Oh, my God. It's it's massive. It's massive. And the campaign supplement specifically is chock full of nothing but stuff. You know, so
0: then how do you keep how do you get into that stuff a little bit and let your players play with it and have fun with it and not lose sight of the big quest? How do you how do you cut this stuff up
2: and work it in? Honestly, if you're looking to, you're like, well, how am I gonna bring them back into the the main quest? I first of all, when I, I love side plots, but I'm very stringent on how long I let a side uh, adventure go on for in terms of uh, how many sessions. I like like maybe one game as a side quest, and that's fantastic. Really try to conclude it there. And if it's really fantastic and you're not, there's not too much gap between your games, then you could do another one related to that. But I wouldn't go too far in that direction. You kind of have to feel like, are my players losing sight of what we're doing? And, and during that time, also, you're certainly not introducing new core ideas for the game. So I, I would cut it before it goes too far. And how to bring them into that, you have to—the best hooks are go right for the character's backstory— or the things they're invested in.
0: Basically have the big, bad, evil person intervene. Attack, like, basically attack something the players care about, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, honestly, like, I'd be like, oh my god, he's going to attack the Elven Village. What, well, there they made an investment in there? Like, does someone come from there? <laughs> have they been there? Was one of their friends or mentors there? Why, like, what, what, that in itself needs a hook by nature.
1: Yeah. Do well, the way I... Uh, yeah, the way I kind of am taking this, uh, the question from Eric overall, and it got me to thinking, it kind of goes back to what I'm always saying, where it depends on what type of game you want to run and what type of game your players want to play, because being caught up, so I'm a little bit familiar with, uh, you know, Shady Creek Run and some of that kind yeah. of stuff, just from from watching some of uh, Critical Role stuff, but um, there's a lot of story there. There's a lot of intrigue and 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 politicking in a way uh, because of the mercenary bands. That might be the big bad evil guy in your campaign. Who knows? Now, if you have the you know the the lich that you want to get them to, and you're stuck in the mire of this political intrigue, well, I can see how that might be frustrating. But if that's what they're digging and they're into. Go with that because a big, bait evil guy can arrive from anywhere. It can be the bronze lich that uh Tony uh, was up against, or it could be Lex Luthor, who's just a normal guy who's incredibly uh wily, right? And and deceptive. Um, Let so be fair, let's, let's Luthor's
0: kind of counter Batman, he, he's he's. He's got all the money and all the intelligence, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but it's not like he's this, like, wildly powerful person in terms of superpowers, but he's completely able to take down the Man of Steel just because, right? Because he knows his weaknesses. Um, But, like, I think that's part of it. That's kind of what I was reading in the question and what I think goes into when you're building your adventure hooks and hooking players in and and what to do in those sessions is what kind of game is it? Because that's going to dictate, you know, that's going to dictate very much um, what you want to do. Because the big bad evil guy in this place could be the crazy top dog mobster that's taken over the whole thing, you know, and hires the party on or they become his his uh, arch rivals or something. Who knows?
0: Who is the big bad in Wild Mount? Like what what does that cap off with?
1: That, there is not, like, one. That's the thing. And that's part of the thing where I think you get stuck with this kind of stuff because you're talking about Critical Role and Matt Mercer and that group. And they have, like, 500 hours in this continent of wild, Matt, now. You know, and we're talking 500 hours with Matt Mercer writing the story where literally every adventure is tying in to the next thing, to the next, to the next big, to the next big, to the next big. And there have been multiples. So... Don't try to compete with that one play in the world, but make it your world too. you know, not everything has to be epic world spanning, you know, high fantasy explosions. You know, sometimes these these down and dirty street ones can be uh, just as awesome and just as epic.
0: You know, I like that in theory. But as we're leveling up in 5th edition, I mean, can these down-and-dirty-street ones be just as awesome and epic when the players start getting access to things like, you know, Meteor Swarm, <laughs> Wish? <laughs> well,
1: we're talking and, now about characters that that's are very third unwitting. level. You know, they're at but, third level right now, right? Well, yeah, but he's so.
0: talking about getting the big, bad, evil guy story in because that is one of the things that paces your game is your characters level up. If they're not leveling up, they tend to get bored. We've talked about that. If you don't level yeah. up, if, like Tony's talked about how if you don't have gold and or experience and or story rewards it starts to feel like you're not moving the football so you know you can spend some time there but you're eventually going to level them out of you know street punk with a with, with a switchblade you know you're eventually going to have to get to <laughs> the point where even my warriors have phenomenal cosmic power you know i mean a Zhang in uh, tony's game just hit uh three he just hit the triple multi-attack so, you know, you're talking, uh, you know, four attacks per round with his bonus, and there's going to be seven per round when he busts an action surge. Even mm-hmm. more if he gets a haste. I mean, it's, you know, it's just like feeding monsters into a Cuisinart at this point. You know, it's <laughs> just, a,
2: just, a, just a
0: mess of whirling blades, and that's where excessive. you get. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's just excessive. There's an encounter with four Storm Giants, but we'll get to that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the fight's starting into, it's, it's less a fight and more a will it blend. But so I think you do need to move on at some point, right? The real question is how do you do it? Like how do you get from okay, here's all the all the shady crooks and gangs running this area to here's here's the big bad guy who's worthy of a ninth level player and who's going to lead into someone who's worthy of a twentieth level player?
2: Yeah. Well, well, two things there. Um, first of all, I would strongly recommend when we're going back to his original question that if you're going to introduce the big bad, uh, make sure this person is plugged properly do not just drop them out of left field it really is i feel like it's kind of it feels like a very weak rating when it, it's like okay well let me tell you about this terrible dragon oh my god the most terrible dragon it's here it shows up an hour <laughs> later there's no build up there's right you gotta and build some. There gotta be some building. Right. We we just went from like we bought the land, we like, you know, cut the grass, we're gonna put the foundation in, and now we're trying to put the roof on. But as far as what you're saying about, you know, the street punk with a switchblade, I think that really determines the style and context of your game. Now, if you wanna run a run a street game in Five E where they're dealing with thieves guilds and what have you. I mean, are your players running with, like really with a tight array of stats? Are you in, are you relatively low level? Like are you in like the tier one, tier two brackets? Because in those ranges, that could hypothetically be interesting. A bunch of guards could be threatening. It's not like you know you're necessarily uh, getting attacked by a gaggle of owl bears, you know <laughs> that it. But uh, it, it's different, and I do from a guy who loves epic adventure. I do respect that. Sometimes you don't want to be the guy who Elminster pulls aside and he's like, "Hey, I need you guys to do something." You just want to be that guy, that character from who came from a farm, who came to a big city, you know, to get it to get his break, to get make his name, versus something so grandiose.
1: I will there. say I, I had yeah. gotten caught up a little in that uh, too with. the thorn the same way you were saying with woodstock and slavers bay where uh i had kind of the first tier generally worked out uh, and we got caught a little bit in the morass but within that i still had those overarching ideas of like okay well this would be the big bad for you know the next tier and this is the ultimate big bad and i had started to pepper things in um, Tony, like you're saying, like not just immediately, oh, well, this is happening, but peppering these things in using, um you know, different clues or things that you guys would pick up that would start to lead to these larger things. But at the same point, allowing a level of breathing room for if your party decided to go this way, well, that's going to change a lot. Like, let's say you guys said, you know what, this isn't actually a bad a bad deal. If we can get a better deal from the Queen and we can get like some sweet uh, you know, lodging and stuff, maybe we'll just be her mercenaries. Well that's gonna completely shift the entire crux of the of the that campaign. It'd be super cool. But that's gonna shift maybe where the big bad is, you know. So leaving enough breathing room for those things to shift as well.
0: I mean it does, I mean in that game it- it does play out of who your characters are too right because i know yeah. at least the character i brought to that game was not going to the druid wasn't going to go for that obviously you know what i mean that is that is like the anti druid path there so you can kind of see where
1: that's heading yeah it felt i could i would be very surprised if you guys all of a sudden decided you know what this is actually no we're good so i very quickly realized okay no they're falling along this kind of general path that i thought they would yeah so we'll we'll keep this running you know
0: yeah, I think, you know, uh, it is cool. You, you can definitely have the players hang out and kind of fight the, the 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 more mundane kind of villains. And I think you do see some of that in even like some pop culture type stuff. Like the Marvel Dark Universe does a good job of staying. Or It's kind of like where they have both their street punky kind of stuff and their magic kind of stuff. And it does work up to like demons and devils and world threatening oh, yeah. things. But it keeps most of it kind of gritty and, you know, at the street punk kind of back alley black market kind of dealing kind of level. But I think the thing with D &D, and D and to some extent it's true for a lot of role-playing games, but if I compare D and D to like call of Cthulhu, which we just started D and D advancement happens pretty quickly and your power ramps up pretty significantly. So what you need to be careful of, and I found this in my first, uh, in my first D and D campaign, we've talked about it. You can ramp your characters past the point where they're where they're above monsters you plan for them to fight. So you should have in your head, okay, this is the point at which I can work in monsters of this CR level, and this is the point where I got to work in monsters of this CR level. And if I want to use a troll, well, that troll is only going to be interesting in kind of this band right here. If I want to use an owlbear, bear, al bears actually phase out pretty quickly. Yeah. So that. That is sort of that is one of the things we didn't talk about in pace is you're, you're, you're leveling your players. Your players are going to want to level every few games, whether you're leveling every game, every other game, every 10 games, whatever your pace is. That pace is going to determine when you've really got to pull in like, things like dragons and less things like you know, mob bosses. Now, you can do a thing, though, where your mob boss is super tough. You can, I mean, you you can drop, you can can be dropping magic against, you know, against, like, super tough kind of mob bosses. Maybe they're they're jacked up in some way.
1: What if the mob boss turns out to actually be, like, a dragon that's in human guise the whole time? That's never
2: been done before. You You know, or whatever, right?
1: Or is some sort of other creature, and there's this whole other level that's going on and that's actually what i wanted to get
0: to because it sounds like the the morass that eric is stuck in of okay they're all tied into these dueling uh street gangs or these dueling criminal gangs so we're all fighting for the upper hand with well, the way out of that is one of those gangs or a couple of those gangs or maybe all of those gangs is actually having their strings pulled by the next level up you know one maybe one of them's a dragon maybe one of them's actually making a deal with the devil uh This is sort of what I did in the Woodstock Wanderers. The Woodstock Wanderers, they were hired to go recover some, some miners who some goblins had kidnapped. Turns out the goblins were working for an evil cult. Turns out the evil cult were trying to unleash a lovecraftian monstrosity that would destroy the world. Like, it goes up. You know, there's levels to it. (laughs) <laughs> you, you start with the, okay, these guys are just doing a basic crime, but oh, that basic crime is actually being used to power something more powerful. Oh, the thing that's more powerful is a bigger thing than you ever thought it would be. Oh no, it's the end of the world. Uh, that kind of thing of you know having your petty crime play into the big bad evil guy's motives and that way you yank the party into that, in, into the bigger stuff, into the bigger arena is I think a good trick. You what you need to figure out is what are the touch points. You know, whatever you whatever Eric, whatever you're looking at for your big bad evil guy, Figure out how the Shady Creek gangs are involved. You know, somewhere, somehow, they're feeding that guy something, and that's how you get the party to that guy. Because your party winds up meddling in affairs that have to do with the big bad evil guy, or they wind up working for him without realizing it. That's a great, great trick or right there. His
2: lieutenant. Right.
0: Well, I love it when you turn out to be actually working for the devil. That's that's one of the best twists I think you can have for the party, which is what what uh, what the Erasmus game did where Erasmus was actually advancing Vecna's plot and actually I, helping the Crafty entities without realizing it. No, I was evil, and I was perfectly
2: all right with that. I don't know who uh, you were sh- twisting in that.
0: A little bit. Yeah, I don't think you realized how far that was going or how bad that was going to be. There's always the matter of who's the dupe and who actually knows what they're doing.
2: Well, you know, it's all fun at games until you turn into a pile of undead bugs, I suppose. <laughs> but the power I then wielded...
1: Uh, But there's there are like, Thorne, you were just you were just pointing it out, like kind of how this could go. There are always exit ramps for entering the person again. You know, it's like the Schrodinger's encounter, except Schrodinger's big bad. Mm -hmm. There we go. We got a third one now. It's wherever whatever you're involved in, they're somehow hooked in either to them directly or indirectly in some way. And you're starting to uncover that plot and that can lead you along. And if the players don't want to bite on that, no big deal. There's always more areas where that will all of a sudden show up. Oh my God, that we just intercepted this letter and this caravan. Yeah. And it's talking, you know, it shows that uh, you know, the Oodalots are wanting to, you know, uh to get in with XYZ, whoever, you know, whatever, I mean, whatever guy, whatever your your bad guy is.
0: No matter how independently powerful the big bad is, it's almost, it, you know, good world building has it interacting with the rest of the world. So if you're dealing with a necromancer who's looking to take on a ritual that will sacrifice everyone in the world so he can be, you know, omnipotent and immortal, great. He's still You should still have him plugged into some kind of supply chain, networks. Evil gang is going out to do his bidding. Like there should be an army or something beneath him. You know, either it's a real army, which is very realistic, or it's just ways he's exerting his power to get the things he needs to do the thing he needs to do. Like that's how you tie whatever your big bad is to the rest of what's going on. There's a supply chain they need. They need slaves. They need gold. They need some rare magical items, but there's something that your players can get involved in that is touching that big bad's plot. And that's how you pull them into it. Because then they learn about that. And the next step, of course, we've dealt with this is how do you give them good enough motivation to want to go stop the big, bad, evil guy's plot? Because as Tony can tell us about, it's not always enough to just say, well, hey, he's evil.
2: No, no, no. A lot of your guys want to get paid. I think there's a a real delicate balance there because I've been in games where that's worked very well. And then I've also been in other games where – you know, you uh, – a thieves guild gives you a hard time, and you go, uh, you know, give them the business, and next thing you know, like, oh, well, they're connected to these other guys, and these guys are connected to these guys, and it's like – it, you're all of a sudden, you're in a scenario where, you know, a run-in with a really low-level, like, gang, so to speak, turns into this massive conspiracy theory where, like, you know, the highest levels of the government by a real-world equation would be connected to that. And you're like, right. So you're talking about, like, you
0: basically – you kill the, the the pickpocket, and he turns out to be someone who is important to, like, the chance the, – the, the the evil archduke who is now your mortal enemy because you killed some random pickpocket.
2: That's kind of your I've been about. there. Yes. That's yeah. how I, I
1: would think. say – I would. I, I think would it's a scale this, issue. Yeah. Go, I sorry. would put this back <laughs> to, to um to uh. I'm gonna reference Avatar because I think that they did this very very well. Uh, over the three seasons, um, there is the absolute story arc and the big bad. There is no doubt as to what that arc is and where it's going to end up the whole time. With that said, there were whole episodes where they would go. And something else would happen—some adventure, some mishap, some funny day at the market, whatever. That wasn't—that had nothing to do with tying into the big bad. You know, not everything has to tie directly into the next episode. And it's like, oh my god, every—remember when that guy turned left? That meant that it was the left hand, and they were—they were behind him the whole time. You know. To be fair, a lot of Avatar does work back to the big bads. No, it always comes back to it. But what I'm saying is that, you know, having these other things happening in the world, there's nothing wrong with that. And then get back to your big bad. You can have a whole adventure arc that, like we talked about the one time, getting back to the old style adventure. You know, like three, five, six nights, Mm -hmm. something like that that doesn't necessarily tie into the big bad, but your party is doing stuff. You know, they're affecting the world, you know?
0: Well, I think Avatar is a great example. Um, I'm sorry, Tony, go ahead.
2: I can't wait on the Avatar example, uh, but uh, that also feels a little bit like when you do those side quests that don't tie into the big bad. That gives you that moment of palate cleansing, like we did with the Mm -hmm. holiday games. I think that's nice. You don't want to be focused, because here's the problem with this. If you put your guys on this big, long quest. Like, here is the bad guy, the bad guy, this individual is threatening the world, or what have you. They're not going to get there for a very long time, at least if you're doing it right. And I feel that potentially could be tiresome. You need other things in there. Not Hmm. that they they forget about this, this ever-imposing threat, this nemesis who they're building up to one day confront, but to, to be driven for that for like say i don't know hypothetically 10 12 levels at some points it feels a little unrewarding cuz you're like okay well i'm trying to take this guy down and we're nowhere near so you're saying like
1: let's say if you had someone go through like let's say 10 levels chasing after a vampire lord something like that um <laughs> uh, no because we weren't maybe his name is I've been avoiding Tarnage. him
0: at every possible sure. turn uh <laughs> I, I, I think we've done a great job of trolling Strahd. I have, we have a listener, uh, a fan on Facebook, who I was telling about the Strahd game. And I'm like, yeah, we're just trolling. He was like, how How are you trolling Strahd? And I'm like, well, we did this. And I think it's an interesting approach to how to deal with Strahd. I think we're having some fun with Strahd. <laughs> you did change up the ecology. We're in a cold mountain making constitution checks for once. Totally different. Yes,
1: yes, yes. It's a totally different sunless to wasteland. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And I got the drink, yak milk. I mean, this is incredible. Yeah, now it's just, instead of gothic
1: horror, it's survival horror. Oh, my God,
2: it's such a difference. Thor, you threw out the
1: map. Why? Next, you guys will run into an S&M club, and it'll be body horror. Oh, my God, he's got them all in. Game. We have not we have not done body horror. I got
0: to tell you, if I was playing, if I was doing a Curse of Strahd, I very well might try to start picking off and enthralling thralling the various party members because maybe by yeah maybe by third or fourth level they're just all working for Strahd. You know, it's a different kind of game. <laughs> he, he's just making friends. But one of the things I think is interesting in the Avatar comparison is that that's a different way to move your party forward, right? So they're not always in touch with something that leads up to the big bad guy, although often it does. But they have a goal. That is a different kind of adventure. So that kind of adventure is your party has a strong singular goal they're driving towards. The rest of their side quests start out by, you know, they're kind of things they need to do to get there. Like, so ang has got to meet all these different masters in order to learn bending well enough to fight the Fire
1: Horde. Right.
0: That drives your side quest. And along the way, you have all those kind of fun, goofy quests. But the players are self-directing in that case that they know they need to get back to the Fire Nation by the day, by the Eclipse. In this case, Um, which I think, you know, that works really well, so long as your party sticks to it and you can kind of do some beats that drive them. Okay, well, this is happening. Don't forget, you know, and they do that in Avatar, like in Avatar, they show up at the Earth Kingdom and it turns out the Fire Nation is trying to tunnel through the Earth Kingdom's wall. That brings Very back nice. the, the urgency that the party needs to get back to their quest. They don't get too lost in it. But you know, it is like uh, the uh, there's a Dragon Ball Z example. You need some episodes that are when like Goku and uh, Vegeta try to get their licenses. <laughs> Remember that <laughs> when Chi Chi drags Goku down to the DMV and he fails his, t- his driving test.
2: You know, he he had some troubles.
0: I mean, I understand. Troubles. You know, it was it was challenging for him. Yeah, those are, you you do need some palate cleansing type things like that uh the trick is getting out of them in time right and i think uh you know just uh, and i think we've kind of gone over kind of what are eric's options here the big one being you whatever they're doing whatever the side quests are well at some point maybe they're feeding up to the big bad that the party discovers and wants to go investigate i i do agree with tony i think you got to be careful with oh no that you killed that shoeshine boy and he was my son and now the big bad (laughs) the baddest mage in the land wants to come kill you that could get to be a bit boring. Well, that escalated that, quickly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think you can have them at least start tying into, well, why are these gangs acting this way? Or that gang's got some weird stuff. Where'd that come from? You put in the clues that put them back on the path to the big, bad, evil guys thing. And the other way to do it is you give the, you know, that is that is very antagonist directed. Oh, we find out some things. We investigate more. As we investigate more, we get pulled further in. We start trying to thwart the bad guy's plan. The other way is you hit the party really hard with something that they need to go do. You know, either they lost something and we go get revenge or there's, you know, the big bad guys acting towards an apocalypse or something and they need to stop it. Then the party should self-direct to get back after that because it's what their characters want to do. Those are the two main ways to do it. You know, you can have the antagonist driven where they stumble into the bad guy's plot and get pulled in. Or protagonist-driven, where the party knows what they need to do and it's up to them to get there and do it. Either one of those ways leads you back to the big bad guy. It still likes to explore some quests, but yeah, in D and D you do have to put a cap on that. You know, you don't want to do more than I don't think you want to do more than two levels doing the same thing. If the party has leveled up from two to five just by pod racing, or just by gang busting, yeah, you know, that's that's a little that's like too long, too much of the game spent doing the same thing. You want to get them to another kind of adventure, I think.
2: Mm. Yeah, I think that's, you Plus know, I You're mean, playing Storm King's uh, Thunder, and you could level up halfway through an episode, but I digress. <laughs> if you're gaining two, well, well, we were doing different
0: things, though. I mean, Storm King's Thunder, first we were repelling an ogre invasion. Then we were rescuing a princess from the goblins. Then we, uh. It was ice cream. There were some demons. There was ice cream. There was definitely ice cream. <laughs> you're kind of all over the place. You know, you're doing different things, different kinds of adventures. And that's the, uh, you know, you got to mix it up, but you got to keep them moving. You got to hit both. And you you, want to be careful. And I think your big clock is your levels. Watch how many levels they're picking up doing the same thing. If you have them just wandering through the woods, gaining five levels, that might get a little boring. Not that I've done that. (laughs) So... All right. So I think we've gone you know, deep into Eric. I hope that answers your question. Uh, you know, I would aim for those two ways to get out. You know, either your antagonists they start tripping over your antagonist's plans or give them a good reason to go get themselves on the right track for uh, us though. So you guys, so what are your favorite things? Like, how do you like to set up an adventure? How do you like to suck the party in? And what are some things you like to do on the adventures?
2: Well, I think that I came back to so this a little earlier on um, when I'm actually preparing the adventure, I break down the key parts and then I fill in the blanks. But how to hook them, I plan something which I devise is dare I say, and you, insert the laugh track here, it's foolproof. I say something the effect of, well, I know the players are going to jump on. You know why? Because I've been in situations as a DM where I'm like, and this is happening right now, and you need to be involved, and there's crickets. And what, a, what makes something they awkward. want to be involved in versus something they're going to ignore? Directly involved in their backstory or something they're actively invested in okay so their persona for example you've got jake in my campaign the barbarian jacob who is pure of heart he can't tolerate injustice well here's some here's a nice bucket of injustice these people are facing injustice <laughs> right there right now their lives are in peril what are you gonna do are you gonna go get dinner or are you gonna handle this huh i don't feel like making letting you guys shop here's the injustice go you know <laughs> Every ravage you <laughs> out of the mall, go stop the injustice. What about you, Dave? What are some um, yours?
1: yeah, it's it, it really, like I said, it goes back to that thing what type of game am I running at that point and what type of game do my players want so like my whole campaign pitch thing because I will play vastly different different things um I the my Pathfinder campaign was the giant epic world spanning huge world ending the rise of the dragon king all of that right and it was had all those tropes then I'm running like slavers bay well that's very different that was this slavery economy and this weird infernal kingdom and these kind of political machinations with Strahd, it's, it's Strahd, right? So, and then as I look at Strahd and I'm kind of thinking like, if we go past, you know, if you guys, you know, defeat him and and free Barobia, let's say like, I'm like, "Ah, I've already started to place things in there as to like where it could go next. And it's something I haven't done before. So it, it kind of depends on what uh, what everyone is wanting to play and then what I want to run. But there's nothing very specific like, "Oh, I love doing just this, this thing.
2: I kind of want to say something blasphemous here, Dave. Yeah. Going through your campaign um, and how they portrayed Strahd, it, they've done it in the classic fashion. One of the things I wish they, if we had taken a different take on Strahd, and this is a little, a little off topic, but he is an utterly un- sympathetic villain like there's really it's very cut and dry he is evil as fuck Ever refers to as a devil now if you really that's, understand yeah. that story, like if you read his his biography like i have then you understand that he was in love his heart was broken and he, but,
1: right but that's and that's been part of like the um that's been some of what i've been juggling to try to get some of that in while still staying true to what this this war this land is you know so yeah like there is sympathetic things in there but at the same point it's like being sympathetic for the abuser Mm -hmm. like the abuser could be like hey man i had a crappy life hey i well yeah i don't fucking care though because you're you're right um so it that's a i understand where you're going with that it's 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 hard to juggle and I've tried to throw a couple things in to begin to give that obviously they have not come through fully but um <laughs> that's a t- it's a tough one though because he's literally the he's the abuser right he's in this like this this predatory thing uh with these females and like you're supposed to feel bad for the guy because he's this you know this you know uh love-struck prince and all that you know like you try to get the Gary Oldman thing out
2: And it's like, fuck that, dude. That dude just, like, killed this guy. Like, (laughs) you know? He showed up when we were level two and beat the crap out of us. Like, gave us, like, you know, wet willies and wedgies and left. I mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know. one thing I've noticed
0: about Strahd, he's a very 80s, 90s male anti-hero style villain. Not even anti-hero, but he's a yeah, he's he's re- he's relatable from that point of view. If you kind of are willing to buy the angsty, heartbroken, well, I have this angle too kind of vibe. That's not really cutting it in pop culture anymore. And I'm not sure it really cut I me. Mean, you know, it's one of those things we talk about kind of toxic masculinity, right? It is sort of a, this is sort of a toxic masculine kind of thing, right? The idea that, oh, because his heart was broken, he's somehow sympathetic. Lots of people have their heart broken. They don't go and turn their realm into the demiplane of dread. Not bringing my
2: personal life into this. Right? (laughs)
1: Exactly.
2: Exactly. So, yeah, it's
0: it's called the demiplane of dread.
2: Doesn't mean that that's okay to do.
1: I will say I will put a mark I will put an asterisk next to it because we have not completed the adventure yet, and there are still uh, things to be discovered. So we'll see by the end. We'll have a we'll have a review, a year in review, and we will uh, we will see if, uh, That's if that official. Sticks.
0: Phineas yeah. specifically doesn't want to know those details. <laughs> That's his job is to come and torture the person that the thistle down the man with the thistle down hair has told him to come torture and go ruin their lives and wreck them, and he doesn't want to get sympathetic with them. He has trained not he has trained himself not to. I have a question again off
2: yeah. the, off the rails. Are you gonna explain your character's backstory now that I'm like almost tenth level? I mean I don't want to rush you. I mean, I. Have, uh, oh no,
1: not, I've known him. <laughs> he
2: just he uh. Phineas he's got a backstory. There. It's
1: um. Yeah, he plays it close to the vest though. So Thorin is like... how he doesn't Yeah, he's Th- Phineas has been pretty uh. He's played it uh very much like his backstory. Uh, Phineas is Phineas. He's a playboy. Yeah. He's just, he's just he's just there to party and have
0: a good time and just uh you know he he can he he can talk. He can make things happen. He can uh, he, he can help his you get things for himself.
2: I, know. I was thinking yeah. about this. Uh, I'm like, OK, so he's like, hey, you mentioned at one point. It's interesting thing about plot hooks and story where at, we talked about things getting missed, because when I'm trying to be a good player, when you're doing something, there was a point where um, Thorn was interacting with his patron, but we couldn't see it. So I'm still trying to pay attention, but I also kind of tuned out. And then like I feel and then the. Like, this brought me back to a situation where Bonnie was doing something in Storm King's Thunder, where she was having this interaction with this devil, and you guys weren't part of it. And actually, that came up. then I circled back. I'm like, well, this was introduced to the party. Jake. Jake and was the big one that happened, like, mm, Jake, but I wasn't part of that encounter. Yeah.
0: Mm. Well, the Jake was the big one that happened with because Jake had a conversation with the Giants that was supposed to be private, and that revealed a ton of the backstory he had. And we were all, and I was like, I don't know, I didn't listen to that. I wasn't supposed to. I was supposed to. He was having that conversation in private. I wasn't in that. I wasn't supposed to listen to that. What happened?
1: That and the uh, when when a lot of the memories were uh, were recovered right. uh, with the the genie's lamp that we found. Because Tony always puts a genie lamp in every adventure. We found out um, it's
0: not D and D without a genie. I can't resist it. <laughs> right. I mean, and so. that is something. You know, ideally, you want the players to turn around and share those things with the party. Uh, I don't. You know, I feel like Phineas has shared everything. Phineas, I mean, everything useful. I don't feel like he's held back anything the party should need to know. Um, he's there for his own reason. He doesn't sort of all of it. He's he's got a job. <laughs> Phineas has a job to do.
1: No, you guys have all played uh, your characters very much uh, what the backstories have said have you know, kinda of set up, but like your characters have stayed have stayed true to what your your envisioning was, I thought. But yeah. So, we'll see if Strahd turns sympathetic by the end. I doubt it, but we'll see. I'm I
0: am
2: not holding in my breath. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't tend to play into the party backstory too much, unless someone is perfectly aligned with the beginning adventure. I do tend to kind of give them an adventure that leads to more stuff. And I try to leave a... There's always something at the end of those first adventures that leads on to something bigger. So it's not like... I'm not forcing them to go that way, but the interesting things tend to build off of the things they just did. So when I'm trying to hook the party in, it is often... You know, okay, you guys were out to rescue those villagers. Except those villagers, you weren't able to catch up with them, and instead, you found out there's more going on here. And to rescue those villagers, you still got to keep going. And are getting pulled into the, a deeper part of the adventure. And there's that guy. I guess I did play into Sir Morton's background because uh, Brother Maynard, who was the who who had turned to that evil cult we were talking about, you know, he was there to pull Sir Morton along. Although he was also right. there because yeah, he was just out. I, I wanted to kind of convey something of the seductiveness of this and the power of it. So, you know, they, I tend to plant things after things. And as they follow those, they tend to go further down. But I also usually give the party chances to go do whatever they want. And then as they tell me what they want to do, I tend to build those things in. But it's, it depends. So, like, as you guys know, in the, uh, in the Woodstock Wanderers, you came back, you, you're, you're no longer trapped in the woods, you're back in kind of the civilized medieval Europe style world. Where they have now found out about this place where you were and found out about some of the people I found out about the giant, you know, this, this great, this, this elder thing that might destroy the world. And there is a version of Strahd who is much more, much more Vlad the Impaler than Strahd. Uh, <laughs> who has begun trying to bring people into his side and the party's now investigating a vampire and that vampire has a stack of letters uh, from Strahd. So the party needs to look at that I uh, need to type up or something I need to convey to the party before we have the next adventure. But you guys actually found a stack of correspondence you haven't looked at yet. Uh. So those things will tie together. But that's really the party decided they wanted to go this way. The one did this thing. And I spun off of that four or five things they could go do that would build upon that and let them take it further and go investigate other things. I didn't pull back on the main plot entirely because it's all still there. But the reason it's still there is because it's a world-spanning plot. So
1: Yeah. yeah. Things there are new are things going to be revealed, you know yeah it's uh, still happening whatever we wherever we go, we're still involved in it. We're just approaching it from a different angle, which again, like Tony said, can serve as that palette cleanser because it changes the scenery a little bit right
0: and also think about it from a world building point of view. if you have anything that is that big it involves the great powers of the world. If you have something that's a threat to the world, your major rulers know about it. Their major, right. their major nobles know about it. The people who oppose them in the kingdom know about it. It's going to become a part of the political fabric. So in this case, there's a whole power aspect to it. Of okay, well, you know, a lot of the time, whatever your big bad is doing is a way for the disempowered, an an ill-favored noble, someone who's, who who ha- should have power in the kingdom but is sidelined by the king. That noble is probably going to see this big bad plot as a way to advance their own cause. So there are world-building things you can do that naturally build up from the granular wherever the party is to the power level with this big thing going on you know little people always you you can easily get them caught up in that top level and i do a lot of that where i think about okay this is happening who knows about it in the world how does it impact them what does it mean for those lands what does it mean for the people under them and how might that impact the party because if the if the world might end Odds are, lots of countries are going to know about it. Lots of kings are probably going to have that knowledge and make decisions based around it.
2: I'd say there's scenario here, so if you're going to throw out there, I mean, of course, you're doing the world-ending things in the back half, the back nine of the game. Oh, and um, I,
0: I threw that out second level. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, then expect the party to go to the king and be like, I'm going to need some plus three swords, bitch, because, you know, the world's ending and don't tell me here's my support. Here's 500 gold for all six of you in total. Split that up. And here's a here's a nudge. Go to the um, go to the blacksmith and he'll give you 10 percent off because the world's ending. Who says the king believes them? Yeah, Who's, I will he's going trust that's him with a um, big quest if he does. Yeah, I um yeah, I definitely uh
1: I'm I'm not one to reveal the if I have the something really big, like Slavers Bay, for instance, like the the real big things are still completely mysteries. Uh, I have begun to pepper the the beginnings of what that could turn into but i i that is one thing that I do actually like to do uh, that I do in every game I am a big fan of backstory and a big fan of completing character arcs or or their their goals their story so I will always my my world is always adjusting to what they are bringing to it and I thought that that was actually something really great in Woodstock was that we actually... Sir Morton was able to actually complete his quest. His quest was to find Brother Maynard and report back to the Order. That was his whole thing, and we completed that, and that was, like, really, really cool, you know? So you, it was like, indirectly, you completed the character arc, you know? But I think that that kind of stuff is awesome, because people are playing because they're they're focused on their character, so giving a little to that I think is is very helpful. Makes for a bit more enjoyable experience.
2: Did that really complete his character arc, or was that just no, a no, major no, no, plot No, 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 no,
1: no. It completed his his quest because his quest initially was to find Brother Mater and find out what had happened. Um, that was the order for his mission from his order, and that has completed. That led into a much larger quest, but that's part of it too. Is that it's like a circle, right? Like you keep coming back to the same point and it seems like it's the same point, but if you tilt it, it's a spiral and you just continually hit that same point, but you're deeper and deeper and deeper, you know, but to complete that, that, that quest or that adventure, you should be, you should complete that, you know, Mm. you should throw the ring in Mount Doom. That doesn't mean that your story is, you know, there's still lots of story to happen. But that has to happen, you know, first.
0: You know what? When I think about what are all the characters in the game, though, most of them didn't come in with that kind of thing, in part because it was our first game. And I was a little bit – and I kind of downplayed it a little bit because I I still tend to want to focus on what are you doing more than what, where did you come from. Sure. There are a couple characters who do have backstories we can get into, and one of the characters actually – and one of the players – was getting bored with her character because she did not have a backstory. And we, we've worked some things in where she's now involved in something else. It's not backstory. It's force it's it's foreshadowing in some ways. But well, yeah, it's something it's it's yeah. something interesting. Like Beam doesn't have a ton of backstory to play into other than he wants to spread the word of dawa
1: right? Right, right. Oh yeah, no, I'm not I don't mean in terms of my character, because that's was that was part of me being um coming into this game as someone who had been playing. Yeah. Oh, uh, at a table with a lot of people who hadn't been. One, I chose a cleric, a life <laughs> domain cleric. I I very specifically chose that to be like, okay, yeah, so we are not going to die. But two, I mm. I, I chose it's, a it's, character that was the traveling, uh, you know, the traveling guy, the 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 man on the road, because then my your destiny becomes my destiny, like it did with Sir Morton, yeah. where his quest became my quest, to the point where I'm now like, you know, should I bring up the sword and, in essence, be like a, a paladin for the gods kind of thing, you know? And who knows what I'll do with that, but... It's um, in your court. You can you can yeah, you have an no, opportunity. Exactly. but I um, mean, we
0: had Sifa didn't come in with any role. She, she, was, she was wandering from her tribe. That was yeah, about it. Yeah. yeah, they were coming in to check out to, to investigate things they were hearing uh has been did have a story the the elder wizard had a story about having basically been kicked out from uh from the castle he had worked in but i did and i didn't bring us back to that uh i don't know if that if that particularly made you know, I, he I think was bezzling
2: wasn't he it. no uh, <laughs> he,
0: he had he had been an adventurer once and the warrior he had adventured with had become a lord and had a castle and the lawyer died, the lawyer the died, lawyer. The, warrior the lawyer died, died. died, huh? His son took over and the son kicked the old wizard out. That was Hasbin's background.
1: Well, some of these things, though, you play into, you, It like, like I've said before, it you doesn't back, mean that it has to play in within, like, the first half of the game or, like Tony says, like, the back nine. Like, for instance, Phineas has not had a lot of his backstory be wildly um, consequential in terms of, the sessions up to now that we know of, but Phineas is beginning to um, discover certain things that will, that can then turn into stuff later. You know, Fenris the same way. Uh, So some people's backstory stuff came up real quick and others I have planned out. Oh yeah, that's, that's in the future. You know, like Chris's warlock from slavers Bay. I had this whole 20 20th level thing that I, that he would, you know, go on if, if it went that way, you know,
0: you know, that's the whole, the whole warlock thing simp for power, right? Oh
1: man. Yeah. You just, you (laughs) have nothing but story there. You,
0: you make well. You make a deal, and uh, you just follow your deal. And uh, in his case, it's basically you know ruining people. <laughs> it's it's a very dangerous liaisons type of character. It's uh, I can think of other of other characters kind of like this, but it's what the, you
1: know, a what a reference dangerous liaisons.
0: He's <laughs> a little bit the Ryan Philippe, He he would be the Ryan Philippe character in that. You know, he's uh uh yeah, that's the kind of character he is. He's just basically uh you know he he's he's that under direction. So yeah. they tell you know his so his job is to go you know ruin this person not ne- not necessarily kill them not kill them but ruin them personally politically mentally emotionally and that's what Phineas does. <laughs> he sounds like a With wonderful a smile guy and a dance and a song in his heart. Um, mm-hmm. So what else do you guys like to? I mean, so that's I guess you know backstory no backstory. We talked about how we how we kind of pull. What, pull players into these adventures what are some of the things you tend to get to what what are some of the things you tend to do along the way like what are some of your kind of classic you know here's the kind of situation or the kind of dungeon or the kind of problem i'm going to present to the party uh a
2: large boss fight that's Mm -hmm. my fun so (laughs) i'm like okay so i should probably get into the, the story and some history but okay let me you know we're talking about the lonely fun there's two things i love making. A nice, well-crafted boss fight, and then an interesting one or more than one magical items to throw in there. That's what I enjoy. I like to do throw things in there you're not going to find in the books. Because mm-hmm. these guys, and this is all out there. Everybody can read everything. And especially when you have veteran players, you want to surprise them. You want to make mm-hmm. them go, okay, here's a, you know, a green glowing sword. What does it do? And they're like, oh, it's a sort of speed. I'm like, ah, nice track. It's a sort of me. Sorry, have fun. Identify it. about you, Dave, what are some of your trademarks?
1: I don't know if I have trademarks. Uh, I don't. I think I need another. Uh, I think I need t- another ten years under my belt for trademarks. <laughs> um, I like though. I like to have regard. Like I said earlier, like you know, what kind of game you want to run, and that's going to change a lot of the things, but. Even with that, I still like to have a little of everything in my games. I want them in a dungeon, I want towns, I want cities, I want political factions, I want uh epic bosses. I want like I like to have a little of all of these things out there uh and I do like to try to play favorite I things. do like to try to play with them all if I can depending on how the story goes, but I like to have all of those things, not, you know, there's nothing in particular that I go, oh, I need to have that because I, I want to have all of them, all the things. <laughs> I want all the toys to play with. My precious. Yeah, <laughs> kind of, a little bit.
0: So I think for me, I tend to like a bit of a moral ambiguity in my stories. Not so much that there's not a bad guy. And not even that the bad guy isn't like, you know, bad, but I like to give the party the chance to dabble in some things that may you know, maybe join the bad guy maybe read the forbidden books, maybe become a vampire. I like to throw some temptation out there for extra power. That comes up a lot. I like to be a guy to be someone, they're not simply driven by I want to hurt thing. They're not simply, they're evil, so they do the evil things. They have a reason they're doing those things. That reason might be totally selfish. It might just be personal power, but it should be enough reason for them to be, look, this is, I care about me, not about you. I am seeing to my divine destiny, and if that means some of you have to die, well, that's the sacrifice I'm willing to make. Or I don't care. Go worry about your own divine destiny. Stop me if you can. But, like, there should be a reason beyond just why. Because he's the evil guy. There should be goals. There should be. Yeah. And there should be a point of view from which it makes sense if you're that character. With that character's priority of needs, I guess. You know, You know the, the bad guys are usually morally uh, you know, amoral, but goal-driven. You know, they've got a thing they're trying to do for their own reasons. And those reasons likely come out, but their motivations are pretty clear. And those motivations drive the things they do. They drive do they try to kill the party or co opt the party? Um, What kind of options and what kind of plans do they put in place against the party? What kind of things happen behind the scenes to the party? I do like a good heel turn. I don't know if I'll work that into this adventure. I've done it enough now where I don't feel like I need to do it all the time. But like Tony said, having having the professor who was leading him along in his study of the old ones was a fun one to turn. And, you know, the old kind of the, the, the powerful thing is not the powerful thing you thought it was. Like, oh, yeah, she's the Baroness. Oh, no, she's actually the Bronze Lich in disguise. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's actual power. That's not just fancy. That's not fancy pants power there. That's real rooted magical power coming at Boy, you. I,
2: I, when I was level uh, 11, I was really surprised to find out she was level 29 solo. Mm. <laughs> that definitely the most dangerous
0: date of your life. Maybe not the worst date I've ever been on. Well, you know, she's very charismatic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are there any scenes or things like that you like to go back to like is there any any particular things you find work yourself into all your games
2: there has to be the big reveals but the big reveals have to be done in bursts because i found when i give a real information dump there are leaks. Yeah. information dribbles it gets lost people get up go to the bathroom have a coffee uh, or just don't absorb everything even if they really want to you start throwing out all these different points. Maybe they don't hear something. Maybe it doesn't make sense. I guarantee you, when we sit down for the next game as Storm Kings, and I'm gonna recap, some people are gonna go, "What? I, <laughs> I, I can, I can feel it." So Would that, we, that's I
1: will say a, a part of that I think, Tone, is because there are such large info dumps, often, often throughout the, because we're 14s. I think last game was session 14. And we have a ton of story, uh, well ba- well past just the Storm King story. I mean, like, individual character story. And there's a lot of it. And it just gets, boom, this big, this big drop, which is hard, I know, uh, because you want to get that stuff out. And if you give it out in, like you said, if you give it out too slowly, it co- it's completely lost. But if you give it out in this big drop, It also kind of gets lost, too, because you have so much paperwork there that it's just, you know, it's like the lawyer trick where they just send you all the files, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's how you pass the bill through Congress. It's 10,000 pages, and you have three nights to read it.
2: Okay. I have to tell you, one of the things that I think I did well with my gaming in 2020, if anything went well in 2020, was that I made sure I was a player in a lot of games, and I really did get some fascinating insight from that. Like, for example, I found myself, like, complaining in my head during some of the games about some things. And then I'm like, wow, if one of my players came to me this, with this, I'd be straight up annoyed. But here <laughs> I am having these thoughts. <laughs> I'm right there with you, brother.
1: I'm right there with you.
2: What, were you. what were those thoughts? Pray tell. What what were those? I'll give you one. This is great. This This is really classic. I could take either side of this as a DM or the player. So, in Dave's game, I got a manual of strength in the Christmas game. And it's like, yes, no, I now have got, super human strength. Go ahead. You got
1: Arnold Schwarzenegger's Modern Encyclopedia of Body, Body What you got?
2: Super cool. So, <laughs> here I am. I'm going to get plus two to my strength. I'm a barbarian. I'm all about strength. Here we go. And in the fine print is you have to train for a week to get it to work. Well, we just played a whole session and I think we got through three days. And now I'm wondering, will I have the benefit of this by two or three games later now? So, where does that put me in, like, the spring? I mean. <laughs> so impatient.
1: You're right? not a reader. The Hawk is not a reader. He has to, like, and he said that they've.
2: I'll I'll have um, uh, Bonnie's character read it to me. I mean, yeah, and then she will get super strong.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Dave? What was uh, what annoyed you? You realized that, like, as a player, that you didn't think much of as a DM.
1: Um, I'm not not nothing. I can't think of anything necessarily in like specific, but I did notice as a player and then as a DM, uh, especially over roll twenty, how cacophonous it can become mm. and how what um, good word right as a player i i it just gets to me i'm just like i want to almost just like mute myself and walk away and get a coffee because everyone is just jumping into to get their their thoughts in or their joke or whatever it might be and meanwhile like uh this actually this last session with between two characters turns it was like 15 minutes of combat just to go through like two, because they would they would start talking, but then they would start to go on a tangent about some show or something, and then they would talk And about, I didn't and cut then,
2: this. I, bad film on it my was part. Just,
1: It was just over, and it, and you just kind of go, oh my god. But then I know from the DM side, like you're just trying to run everything, so it's given me. I'm I'm thinking it's building a level of patience. I hope on both <laughs> sides. On both sides. Also, I'm I'm interested to see – I'm kind of jazzed whenever we can finally get back to the table – how much that shifts things, too, because, like, over-talking at the table doesn't happen in the same way. You know what I mean? Because everyone can hear everything in a way. So, anyway, it's just
2: – No, that's really – we talked about this. That's a super big problem of Roll20 where people can – easily get skipped and people can start bannering back and forth and yeah. then someone's talking and they don't get heard and then they get disconnected well rule 20 cuts
0: off that's one of the big problems with it is you duck one one when one player's talking and another on top of another player they both like one of them actually gets ducked out so someone can be saying something you don't know also people go on mute and forget to unmute themselves which is you know yeah it's yeah. it's like I don't know what else you have going on there, but come on. <laughs> then again, that's me sometimes. I know what else we have. Why I muted? Usually, there's something going on in the background I don't want coming across. Yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, it could be anything though. It's an apartment, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, uh-huh. if we could have groceries. We had this last game. We had uh, we had a delivery of groceries coming in, and I muted. You know, it was, it's things like that. Your you wife know?
2: loves the trombone too, and that can be very distracting. <laughs>
1: But yeah, I mean, it's just being on both sides more has only given me more to to think about and to be more uh, forgiving for others I think <laughs> maybe not in the in the moment, but overall. I mean, it's,
0: it's tough with the combat speeding along because you wind up having to ask, are we here to roll dice or are we here to for everyone to joke and have fun? And well, it's like, like yeah, because that- some some of the or some of the parties enjoying themselves and some of the parties not enjoying themselves. You know, well. It's, yeah.
2: There was times the tabletop where I, honestly, God, wanted to stand up and fire a signal flare up in the air <laughs> in my own house. Like, honestly, God, and that was in person, especially when you have a game with, like, eight, eight nine yeah. people there. Like, everybody shows up after work, and then it's like, oh, let's get food. And like, there's a whole debate that unfolds surrounding that. And I'm like, I'm looking at my watch and I'm like, forum counters, let's scale that back to 2.5 and see where that goes. I
0: mean, it will say roll 20 tends to cut a lot of that out because people get food, but there's not like the whole, there's not the whole bistronomic scene where you try to figure out, okay, what are we ordering? (laughs) Where we Yeah, that's right. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the bistronomic scene that powers your somebody else's problem field, which is what the game becomes, (laughs) essentially. (laughs) We're ordering food. also becomes somebody else's problem, usually in that situation. Uh, You miss most of that in Roll20, but with people ducking and people having their own distractions. And honestly, I know as a player, I will, like, I intentionally kind of zone out a bit during combat, because I know it's going to take a while to come back to me, and I do try to... Because it's just you know you've got to manage your time and attention and you try to kind of have something else there. Like I had the I had uh, we were playing to the world the uh, the football um, conference championships and I had those on in the background, you know. And it's, it sounds off, but I'm watching like okay I'm looking at something else because I'm 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 fully paying attention to the game, but there's nothing for me to do and the best thing I can do
2: is shut the hell up and let everyone else take their turns. My only regret is I should have pranked you and had you come back. I'm like okay Zang it's your turn and four other characters are dead go. (laughs) There's games where I'd work a full day. I'd work like a 10-hour day, come home to game. I'm running the game and I'd get like a cheesesteak or something and I'm like, I'm running the game. I can't shove this in my mouth and and like deal with the other nine people that are here simultaneously. It's impossible. Dave has seen that I can't do that. (laughs) Dinner would take place for me at like 11 o'clock that night. I could absolutely uh,
1: eat a pizza while I'm GMing. Yeah. He's had like lamb stew while he's uh DMing. Him
0: hey, you gotta get <laughs> yeah. gotta, gotta, gotta gotta keep going somehow. I he has a lot of energy being put forth when you're the DM. Plus it gives the players some time to talk amongst themselves. Which I do personally. Giving the players a chance to talk amongst themselves is a big that I consider to be kinda of a little bit of a hallmark of mine. I'm gonna step back and give you a problem and give you a situation, let you talk about how do you wanna deal with this. And for me, like that's I consider that one of my hallmark tricks at least. You know, so I'm going to step away. I'm going to let you guys talk,
2: figure out what you want to do. One of my hallmarks as a player is being impatient so that I'm the player where I'm like, <laughs> you fuckers have 10 minutes to figure this out before we're choosing something. How does that sound? We're going to play spin the gun. Come on. Let's freaking do something. Because i got to tell you, I've been in situations where we've formed a plan. Like my players were in a game. It was a it was a high-level game. Some serious shit was going down. We made, made some decisions. We all met like at Denny's. Formulated this plan, sat around for two hours drinking coffee, came back, executed this plan, the DMs like your plan's garbage, and all the shit went south, and I'm like, okay, well. Well,
0: that okay. is the other thing. You know, players joke about, oh, no, we can't tell the DM what our plan is. Believe me, if the DM doesn't know what your plan is and it is sufficiently surprising, that plan ain't going to work. <laughs> <laughs> you you better flew the DM in on what's going on. <laughs> At least get Yeah, because there, there, the there's so
1: ma- there's so many loopholes that can occur that you didn't think of, and like that's just like you know that's just like hey dance for me DM dance for me.
0: I, I mean I'll <laughs> dance. The, the dance might be like a Russian stomp on your plan.
1: And yeah, <laughs> like you know there needs to be a yeah.
0: <laughs> this is the dance of kicking party ass. <laughs> Well, it's not the thing is, though, it's not just that, uh, it's, it's not just It's it's not like you come into like, oh, I'm going to throw what the thwart party's plan. It's that whatever the party is planning is usually going to evolve at least several pieces of uh, bullshit. There's going to be several things where, you're like, this works the way I think it works, right? And if you don't prep your DM on that, it probably won't.
2: Mm. No, that's that's true. That's fair. Oh, the flip side, though, if that goes outside the box, the DM's like, well, let me tell you why that's not going to work. You see, the queen moved her guard over there last week. See, here's a letter that says that she called for that before you told me the plan. So you can't. No sneaking into the palace this week. Sorry. No. <laughs> but even there, it's like you." It-
0: can you sneak into the palace you know the, the dm better better have a better have in mind the way he can help you sneak into that palace if you want to sneak into that palace because if the dm's thought "Is well yeah there's guards everywhere you know fat chance you're beat you have to be you know, the dm's got to be in on the he's got to be on your side bottom line the dm is against the party and nothing's going to work
2: uh, what they used to call that back in the day is a let me do the air quote a high difficulty campaign. Mm. That means I'd mo- say 80% of your plans are going to fail, regardless well, that was, of the um, proper thought.
0: The Star Wars West End D6 system had the had the expansion for the special uh, special forces. They're the, mm. the, the basically the Rebel special ops book, and they had lingo for difficult plans in there. It was like you know a one in ten thousand chance of survival is cute. A one in one hundred thousand chance of survival is cuddly. A one in one million chance of survival is cute and cuddly so for example getting in a lightsaber duel with darth vader when you don't know the fourth force is cute and cuddly
2: (laughs) Uh, oh yes the d6 system
0: so uh we've been going on for a little while here so we probably should get to final thoughts let's wrap up with as when you come to thinking about your adventures your campaigns what what do you
2: try to do well i like what dave said where we try to throw in a little bit of everything i don't mind Doing a town module, actually a really fun town module we did, ironically in Ravenloft where they were solving a murder. That's neat. That makes them appreciate that they're in the woods, and then they graduate into the mountains and the desert and the swamps and mm. then the crypts. It keeps I mean, the Dungeons Dragons world is extremely diverse and has all kinds of fascinating places and landscapes. I don't want to be in any one of those locations terribly too long, but it's okay to have a central location to come back to. You gotta have somewhere to hang your hat and have that be home.
1: Yeah, so I I do go back to depending on the game I'm I'm running because uh, I will start to uh, overemphasize certain things in certain games that I will underemphasize in others. I will say like Thorn, you said that idea that moral ambiguity to it. I would say I do usually have some level of like that central tension, like what's the main question of this campaign in a way and I kind of base most stuff off that and I generally have an overarching idea of where this could go uh with enough wiggle room that if things completely go sideways okay mm. then we're uh we're over in the desert instead but yeah I like a little bit of everything like Tony said but it's very much depending on what I'm playing yeah
0: and for me, you know, final thoughts, just whatever your big bad is, if you feel like your party is getting bogged down in the minutia, like Eric was like Eric was saying, like getting bogged down in the side quests and the local politics, plug those into whatever the big bad is you want them to be a part of, or give the party a really great reason, make sure they're very character goal directed to get back to where you want them to be. And as for me, what I'm trying to do with my games is I like to make the party make some tempting decisions. You like to throw out there, hey, you want to become a vampire? Hey, you want to read the Necronomicon? Hey, you want to uh <laughs> want, want, want want to serve God on the try some drugs and, and help kids? him perhaps wake up and destroy the world? You want to get on his? You want to get on the the, the winning team? Come on, I like that kind of thing. To me, that that's really kind of where the fun of D and D is. You can take it in a direction that, for frankly, most of your games and books won't. So that's it for me, guys. That's it's been a lot of fun. Good conversation. Absolutely, <sighs> good stuff. Eric, I
2: hope we helped or at least didn't ruin your campaign.
0: Well, we probably won't. I mean, probably let us thank know you all, thank you all for listening to another episode of three wise dms for more check out our, our website threewisedms.com we are active on facebook and twitter you can follow us there and of course if you're listening to this on any of the podcast platforms please hit that five-star rating button leave us a review help get the word out we really appreciate all the all the support you all have given us we're we're, we're shocked <laughs> to see the extent to which this is growing Thank you all. Thank you again for coming to another episode. And we will catch you next week on Three Wise DMs.